podcast has bad words. <laughs> Here we are, patrons. What's up, y'all? Thanks so much for your support. We cannot say thank you enough. Heck yeah. Happy New Year. It is 2020. I'm voting for Ryan Nicodemus for president. <laughs> That's funny. I was voting for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll each have one vote then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So here's the thing. We're talking about creativity today. We're talking about podcasting, mm. but we're going, especially with the questions we have here, we're going to go way beyond podcasting for our patrons here. You are all creators, whether you realize it or not at this point. You are a writer. Mm -hmm. You write text messages or emails or maybe you write blog posts or you might have your own Patreon where you write. Uh, So It's hard to believe like when you think of it that way. What was the stat like at a certain point uh, someone who graduated high school may never write one paragraph again? Yeah, so so our parents and grandparents' generation – uh, so, so here's the thing, uh, you and I are like right on the cusp of Gen X and, and millennial, I guess I, I identify more as, as a Gen Xer, but my, both of my parents are part of, are members of the silent generation. So mm. there's several generations back. Mm. My dad was born in 38, mm. 1938. Mm. Um, and my, my mother was born in 19, I think 45. And so, uh, but before the war was over. And so they're both she's like the very tail end of the silent generation now that generation and then the subsequent generations like the baby boomers quite often the last paragraph they would write was when they were 18 years old in high school crazy and now we're writing every single day yeah we're multiple times a day right and and it's in fact quite often the preferred method of communication Mm -hmm. and i will i would just argue that we can use that to not just communicate but to express ourselves. And so really today what we're talking about, when we talk about creativity, we're talking about communication and expression. Mm -hmm. And podcasting has been a great way for us to communicate our message, also to express ourselves in various ways. Now let's, before we we talk about how you should create value, not content, I want to start with some more about less, Ryan. I've got this article here from Podcast Insights. And this is surprisingly, even though it's only about six months old at this point, it is out of date at this yeah. point because podcast is changing so rapidly. Well, when I was reading this, mm-hmm. I just noticed how much the numbers have jumped since just the last time we kind of had this conversation a year ago, right. or two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And so my guess is these are all, in fact, I can tell you the first one here. So we'll put a link to this article in the show notes. And the nice thing is I think they'll keep updating this article. So maybe even by the time this episode comes out, there'll be new stats yeah, in here. Good. But these are relatively close to where we are. So I think it's a great place for us to talk about podcasting so you can understand how the landscape is changing, how we're, we as creators, uh, not content creators, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about not creating content a little bit later on, but how we as creators are using this medium to effectively communicate with folks so 2019 podcast stats and facts so this is again 2019 even though it's 2020 this is the middle of 2019 and it says uh well the most common question is how many podcasts are there so just six months ago there were 750,000 yeah. I now know personally that number is over 800,000 wow. podcasts so we this year it'll certainly be over a million different podcasts wow. out there for you to choose from now that might sound daunting or overwhelming here's the thing though most people stop making podcasts for their first few episodes yeah which uh, is they don't stick to it which yeah which is like the worst thing you can do if you're trying to have, you know, a successful podcast, right? Because, and I try to explain to people, and this goes with any creation, really. If it's a, even if it's a blog, if you start posting, let's say you're posting once a month, just something really small, like once a month, and people are expecting, oh, Ryan is posting a podcast once a month. I know I'm going to get new creations from him once a month, and I do that for like six, eight months in a row. People are going to come around. That audience is going to build. But then, let's say I stop for just two months or three months, mm-hmm. well, now people, are, they, they can't rely on me. Mm-hmm. They're going to leave. And now to even get those people back is going to be difficult. Right. Because I've already let them down. With- our friend uh, Carl, uh, one of our mentors, Carl, he said, we, we used to work with him in, in the corporate world. He would help me with uh, negotiate real estate leases. Mm-hmm. And one of the decisions we had to make when we were thinking about moving a store somewhere 
he, he would say, well, you, you also have to keep in mind that if you move the store, you have to retrain the gerbils. Yeah. And and that's sort of the thing. Like our, the audience, like the, if you are consistent, they will consistently show up if they're finding value in what you're doing. Yes. And I think you bring up a great point, Ryan. It doesn't have to be a daily podcast. It can be. In fact, you just did a podcast episode a few weeks ago with uh, uh, Josh and Tommy from The Daily Talk Show. Right. Which I love that name because it's so simple and it sounds like something like Katie Couric would be on. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think their media company is called very big media company <laughs> right <laughs> and they're great guys uh and but yeah, they, they literally do a podcast every day and they've committed to doing a podcast daily for 10 years yeah it's amazing that's, that's their thing yeah. you don't have to do that you can if you want but some of my favorite podcasts come out monthly yeah. uh they have one episode a month craig groeschel leadership podcast once a month uh chad veach has a the leadership lean-in podcast once a month mm -hmm. there are two comedians uh, have a podcast called LA Meekly mm -hmm. and it comes out once a month and it's really well produced. They do it in their own garage or whatever, but they, they put a lot of effort into it. And I've come to expect once a month, they'll put something out. In fact, I, I would actually be a little bit thrown off if they started producing two podcasts a week. Right. And so, uh, having consistency is important, but adhering to that consistency every tuesday we put out a podcast episode ryan yep every thursday we put out a patreon podcast episode every friday we have a quickie episode mm -hmm. that's just a, a bite-sized morsel for the the main feed and so but it's consistently it, it consistently comes out every every week yep and so i'm going to go through a few of these stats you can find the article for all of them there are 30 million episodes out there so far that continues to grow. Um, Between YouTube and podcasting, you're, you're never going to be able to consume at all, ever. Right. <laughs> and I think that's the, that can be refreshing. Realizing, yeah, of course. hey, I'm not going to be able to listen to it all, so I'm going to listen to only the things that add value. And by the way, because there's so many things out there right now, yeah. I still have a unique perspective I can still find ways to add value, but I don't have to add value to everyone. Not everyone's going to listen to our podcast, right? right? On a on a very good month, Ryan, we'll get three million downloads mm -hmm. of our podcast. Yeah, that's not even three million people, right? Right. And so, think about that. That means functionally, a hundred percent of the world doesn't listen to us, and we have one of the most popular podcasts in the world. It's sure. frequently in the top hundred podcasts. Uh, there are in eight different countries. Mm -hmm. And even then, 100% of people don't listen to us. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. We're not creating for the 99.99% of people who don't listen to us. Mm -hmm. We're creating for that very small sliver of people who do listen to us. And uh, let's see here, some of these stats here. So yes, there were, there were just a year ago, in 2018, 550,000 podcasts. So it's already grown significantly since then. 51% of people in the United States have listened to a podcast. That means half the people in the United States haven't even listened to a single podcast episode, yeah. right? I that I find that statistic to be true like in my anecdotal experience with people mm -hmm. when I'll yeah, I'll talk about oh I have a podcast and yeah, about one out of two people are like, oh, okay, cool. And then the other one is like, what's a podcast? Yeah. 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 Or, oh, I don't listen to podcasts. Even if they know what it is, they, they may not listen to them yet. Yeah. Right? Which is really kind of a... Uh, I don't know. It's evidence of how much podcasting is still very much this wild front or this wild frontier. Like mm -hmm. there's still, wild, a, wild west. yeah, it's still wild, wild west. I was talking to a buddy just last night. He was like, man, I started this podcast like 10 years ago. He's like, but you know, I, I stopped doing it and I was thinking about getting into it, but there's so many podcasts out these days. I'm like, dude, there's still plenty of room mm -hmm. for people to come out with new podcasts, but Absolutely. talked about what I was talking, what we were, what we were talking about is being consistent, creating. Yeah. Doing it for the right reasons. What else we got? It says that 80% of listeners listen to all or most of each podcast episode mm -hmm. and listens to an average of, sh of seven shows per week. And so, again, you're cr creating for people who you are going to be one of their seven podcasts they listen to. Yeah. And so think about it that way. How can I add value? How can And how can I... We, what we talked about during the middle episode is uh, creating creating something that also gives you the experience that you grow over time. You are improving what you're doing. 
when you and I first started podcasting, it was every four or six episodes, we'd get one thing that was worth publishing. And eventually it was, it was every three episodes we recorded, we put out one and then it was two. And now it's almost every single episode we record, not every single one, but almost every episode we record, we put out there. Thankfully we still have Sean editing it and making it sound coherent. And, um, here's some more stats for you here. Uh, 3% of people don't know what a podcast is. Oh, wait. Uh, so, no, this is of people who listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. They don't know how many they listen to. Um, 12% listen to less than half the episode. 45% listen to most of the episode. Um, 44% of podcast listeners are women. 56% are men. Our audience tends to skew slightly more female th- than male. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Although our live events tend to be 50-50 because occasionally women will drag their significant others. <laughs> and um, But yeah, it, so it's roughly 50-50. So 50% of all homes are podcast fans. That's over 60 million homes in the United States. Here are some uh, old stats from 2017, Q3 2017. 70% of the U.S. population is familiar with the term podcasting. So 70% of people know what podcasting is, but yeah. even only half are listening to podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. 50% of all U.S. homes are podcast fans. 51% of U.S. population has listened to a podcast ever. 32% listened to a podcast last month. So one out of three people basically listened to a podcast last month. 22%, so only basically one out of five people roughly listen to podcasts regularly. Yeah. And so when you talk about it being the Wild West, Ryan, that's what you're talking about. Still four out of five people aren't listening to podcasts regularly. That's going to change in yeah. time. So you want to get in now before it is overly saturated because it's actually not. Because, yes, there's 800,000 podcasts out there. Most of them are inactive. Yep. And and so it might sound daunting, but the vast majority of podcasts don't they don't put out they don't publish episodes with regularity. They're not consistent. And we talked about that being really important. Where, what, when, and how. 49% of podcast listening is done at home. That's actually surprising to me, Ryan. Yeah. Fif- uh, which is uh, what, 22% listen while driving. I would expect that to be much higher. Yeah, I would expect that to be flip-flop. Like I uh, listen yeah. to podcasts when I drive mm-hmm. and like when I walk to work, when, right. I walk, when I walk home from work. But yeah, at home. Or it's, at the gym, maybe. You're at the gym, yeah. Yeah, yeah so if some of you are listening to this at the gym right now. Some of you... I, I, although... I kind of get the home thing. I, I listen all at all those places, like especially if I'm sure. doing chores. Yes. At home, I'm like, man, that breaks Cleaning. up the doing the dishes. Yeah. Sometimes, like if I'm taking a shower or something, like I'll put on a podcast and listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, nineteen percent of listeners increase the speed. I do that. Yeah. I, I put it up to like one point eight. I'm an expert. Sound though. like chipmunks. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Like when Bex and I start listening to a podcast together, she's like, can you slow this down? I can't even understand what they're saying. Yeah. I listen at about one and a half, but it's weird when I go to one, it sounds like they've been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's all slow. <laughs> uh, most popular podcast genre is lifestyle and wellness. Nope. Comedy. Oh really? Yeah, and that makes sense to me. I mean, mainly because I think Joe Rogan is in that is considered a comedy podcast, okay. and so he has the most popular podcast in the world. But also, people like Chris D'Elia, Anthony Jeselnik has a podcast now. Mm-hmm. Andrew Santino, the um, Nikki Glaser. There are all of these these people who have podcasts who are also comedians, and they're they're relatively popular. Uh, followed by education and news; those are the top three: comedy, okay. education, news. I guess we would fall under education, maybe. Yeah. I remember when I first started listening to podcasts; it was for news. It was because I could find world news that I couldn't get anywhere else. So, like you yeah. know, I could listen to like an Iraqi news station because they published it via podcasting platforms. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could totally see where yeah, news is up there also. Yeah, yes indeed. Well, we'll put a link to this article because we've got a lot more to cover right now. We've got some questions. Now, Ryan, we missed Maddie's question from Columbus in the minimal episode, so let's pick that up right now. Cool. About 12 weeks ago, I geared my personal Instagram account toward an affiliate marketing program fully equipped with hashtags, promotions, and prompts to click the link in bio. Many other women seem stylish, engaging, and as if they were monetizing their accounts. Why couldn't I? 
After following back strangers and posting almost every day, I found myself feeling unauthentic, superficial, and even hypocritical when encouraging others to buy things they didn't need. As 2017 came to a close, I deactivated my account, partially to decrease time I spent on my phone and partially because I felt embarrassed with how I had presented myself. Because I love to write, I would really like to post beautiful photos with short original essays but feel it may come off as awkward or like I'm trying to take a different self-promoting approach. What do you suggest? You know, it strikes me a little crazy about, not crazy, but a little wild about this question is that she basically was doing something where she wasn't authentic. Right. But wasn't, you know, it wasn't until later she realized like, oh, I'm feeling inauthentic, so I'm going to cancel this. But what's preventing her from starting this whole thing over again is being authentic. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. That seems a little strange to me. I would say like she's doing it for the right reasons now. Yeah. So that's great. Like there's no reason to hold back. If you are being authentic, then there's no reason of, of uh, there's no reason for you to be nervous. I would have been like the red flags for me would have been, oh, I'm doing this because I want to make money. I want to promote. I want to you know, live this very inauthentic life on social media, like that would have been the red flag. So yeah, I just, I think she's heading in the right direction. Here's what she's worried about, Ryan. I'm handing him, for those of you not watching the video, I'm handing him a New Yorker cartoon. Maybe you can describe the what you see in front of you right now. Um, all right, there's a woman who looks like she's standing on stage giving like a talk. Uh-huh. And everyone is applauding her, except for one gentleman who has his arms crossed. And there's a little thought bubble above her and it says they hated me <laughs> so she's looking at this one person's reaction uh-huh. and and she's making this statement they hated me instead of looking at the 99 percent of people that are uh, giving her applause and praise isn't that how crazy how the human psyche works that really way man? Is. Yeah. jordan i'm gonna give this to you so you can put it into the video <laughs> now th- here that's absolutely what maddie is worried about and here's what i'll say bravo for you for recognizing what you're doing was not congruent with the person you wanted to be Mm -hmm. you're getting clear on what your values are so the first thing i'm going to recommend to you is really get clear on what your values are specifically what your values are we have a essay on our website called how to understand your values and there's a free worksheet there as well where you can fill out and you can identify what are my foundational values you're building a house here foundational values what are my structural values what are my surface values and then what are my imaginary values what is getting in the way and that's really what what maddie needs to figure out because you can build the most beautiful house ryan Mm -hmm. but then if you have a a giant fence around the house you can't get in that Mm -hmm. That's your imaginary values. Those are the obstacles in your way, and you need to tear that fence down so that you can you can live a life that is congruent with what your values are. Now, you talked about rebranding. You're not a brand, Maddie. You're a person. You're a human being. Yeah. And so you don't need to rehuman. You, we never say that, right? I'm right. not going to go rehuman myself. <laughs> no, you're not rebranding anything. The problem is you were trying to create a brand in the first place. Yeah. Don't create a brand. There's too much branding going on anyways. Leave branding up to Coca-Cola and Pepsi and all these other places that are trying to kill us. You are a human being and you want to create something that has some sort of impact on the world, some sort of influence, some sort of effect. And that's great. But is Instagram the best place for you to do that? Probably not. Why? Well, there are a few reasons. One is you don't own your Instagram account. Yeah. And in fact, when you post something there, I believe, I don't know if the terms of service are still like this because the terms of serv- service are subject to change at any time without notice. But at one point, the terms of service were if you posted a photo, then they now own the photo. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case or or whether they change that, but if you don't own what you're putting on Instagram, then why use Instagram as your main communication platform? It can augment what you're doing, but you should start a blog, Maddie. You're talking about writing. You want to write. Go to theminimalists.com slash blog. That's exactly how we started our blog, step by step. Five pretty simple steps that you can start your own blog in less than an hour, and then you own your own platform. You have your own website. If Instagram goes the way of Dodo Bird, the Dodo Bird, or the or MySpace, mm-hmm. you still have your website. And then on top of that, if you want to, once you feel good about what you're writing, 
Start a podcast. You know, one thing I love that Derek Sivers just started doing, Ryan. I don't hmm. know if you, you you know this, but <laughs> uh, Derek Sivers is one of my favorite writers. He he writes so lucidly, so clearly, so so concisely. He started turning his writings into a podcast. So now he has the Derek Sivers podcast, and his episodes That's are awesome. s- somewhere between one and five minutes. That's great because it's just him reading a short blog post, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And and so you can do that as well. So start a blog, start a podcast, use social media if you must to augment the creations, but not to be the main creative platform yeah yeah man just be yourself and like that's that's really what she's going after here and yeah if you be yourself then um you you just gotta ignore anyone who's gonna cast their judgment upon you Um, but when you put your stuff out there whether it's a blog or a podcast or instagram you do have to be ready for uh the seagulls um Mm -hmm. that just fly by and they might swoop down and shit on your work and fly off but you know those uh that's not adding value to you and it's certainly not adding value to like dwell on that type of criticism. So just go for it. And the other thing too is to speaking to the cartoon you just showed me, Josh, mm-hmm. the vast majority of feedback you're going to get is going to be praise and people are going to support you and people are going to want to hear what you have to say mm. and focus on that. I mean, that's certainly what Josh and I do. Yeah. And I, I love when you say, cause Ryan, you and I were downtown the other day, downtown Los Angeles. We just got off the train. It was us and our significant others. We were going to a concert, Noah Gunderson. Amazing concert, by the way. Yeah. Shout out to Noah Gunderson making that was awesome, some dude. of the best music of 2019. His I've, album Lover is so good. I've seen him probably three or four times. Uh-huh. And like I have never left one of his concerts feeling like, oh my God, that's one of the best concerts I've ever seen. Like mm-hmm. it's always been great to see him, don't get me wrong, but like it was truly a, a magical night he created. One of the things I love about his concerts, and this applies to creativity, every time I've seen I've seen him maybe seven times live. Mm-hmm. Every show I've been to has been different. Every single time. It's like he, he has reinvented himself. He hasn't rebranded. Right. What he has done is he's moved on to the next iteration of Noah Gunderson. Yeah. It's his next... It's the maturation of Noah Gunderson. He's 30 years old now, and he's like... He was actually enjoying himself more than I, he was in his 20s. Yeah. And it was such a great show. And the reason I bring that up is we got off the train, and, and this guy... Hey, you're the minimalist. Oh my God, your book changed my life. Um, And I'm able to focus on that. Yeah. Because that's what happens in real life. The people who criticize you online, they're trolling your Instagram account, Maddie. Mm -hmm. They're not going to troll you in real life. Right. They they feel really insecure or bad about their own life. And the best way to have the tallest building is to tear other people's buildings down. And so, yeah, you can't focus on that. Focus on building your own building as tall as possible. And the way you do that is by, by helping others. Preach. Dylan has a question, Ryan. How do you overcome procrastination and laziness? I try to set rules for myself, but can't seem to develop the self-discipline to stick to them. What do you always say, Josh? Don't let your procrastination turn pro. Indeed. <laughs> so discipline is the important part of this question, right? So, so discipline is not sexy. Right. It is not it's work fun. Yeah, it it is not um, memeable. Mm-hmm. It is not an aphorism. Mm-hmm. Discipline it just means I'm willing to do this even when it's difficult. Yeah, I call it drudging through the drudgery. No matter what you do, if it's worthwhile, there will be elements of drudgery. And those are the times, Seth, Seth Godin calls it the dip. But there are, there are moments where I don't want to do it. Now, Dylan's asking for some rules. Rules can be important, especially when you're first starting. Unfortunately, we set up the wrong rules most of the time. Right. When I first started writing, I had about 15 rules that said I need to do the dishes. I need to have coffee made. I need to have breakfast. I need to... Have email caught up on. Yeah. Yeah. And I get through 14 of them or 13 of them, but there's always some new rule that's going to pop up, right? Yeah. And and, and because I'm a completist. 
mm-hmm. in a way. Like mm-hmm. Everything has to be complete. Well, you know how to make things more complete is have fewer rules. Yeah. And so it's not about having no rules, having the right rules, but fewer rules, better rules. My rule for writing right now, when I was writing this morning, for example, I got up around 4 a.m. today, and we're working on a new book called Love People Use Things. And I got up. I did used to have rules like I need to write a thousand words a day. Mm-hmm. I need to uh, write you know, five pages. I need to whatever these rules were. And I said, well, okay, those aren't serving me as well as the number one rule is to, in order to start writing, I have to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And so I get out of bed. I make my bed real quick. Um, and if I'm the first one out of bed, I don't. And Bex is still in bed. Then she has to make the bed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and then I just go over and I I start writing like that. That's that's the only rule. Wake up. And then my next rule after that is writing is is sit in the chair writing for at least two hours. I like to do three hours, but there's no word count, no page count, no expectation other than being willing to sit in the chair. In fact, some of the best writing days for me are negative 1000 words Yeah, because they're editing days. Yeah. And so I talk about this in my writing class, how to write better. Um, the thing that I talk about is sitting in the chair are the four most powerful words, but it doesn't just apply to writing. And it doesn't mean literally sitting in the chair. Like you're sitting in the chair right now, Ryan. Sure. You're yeah. just not in the chair, you're standing. Right. But it means being willing to do the work even when it's uncomfortable, even when there are other things that are easier to prioritize. Yeah. Now there's another reason that you're here right now, Ryan, is because there are, you have accountability partners in this room. Sure. And, it, and so do I, right? And if it was every Tuesday we came in here to record this at 10 a.m., but it was just me doing it, I can find a good excuse like, ah, I'll wait till 1130. Right. I can't do that now because there are other people here that are depending on, and if I, if I just strolled in here at 1130 and so, you know, like some platitude, like, yeah, I don't believe in time. I believe in timing. Mm. Like it <laughs> sounds profound, but <laughs> no, I'm just being a, a dick to everyone else with, with their time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so everyone here keeps each other accountable and we show up here at 10 o'clock every Tuesday and we record a podcast together. Mm-hmm. And so finding an accountability partner. One thing I do with my writing students, Ryan, is I have them find an accountability partner, either another student that's in the class or someone at home that is going to help keep them accountable with their writing. Yeah, That accountability helps you build the habit. And then once you have the habit, it turns into a ritual. Yeah. When I think about discipline, I think about uh, commitment being kind of synonymous with discipline. So another thing Dylan can look at is Look at the things you've committed to in your life, whether it's a partner, whether it's going to work, and try to find ways to evoke that feeling of commitment to whatever it is that you want to pick up. If you're going at it as a as a hobby and all loosey-goosey, and yes, I'm more about timing than time, like that is not going to help you commit. So um, that's the other thing too I, would help, I, I think will help Dylan is find a way to commit to what you want to incorporate into your life. And that'll help you stop procrastinating. Michael has a question for us. How can minimalism feed creativity? I think limitations often breed creativity. Yeah. Minimalism is not about deprivation. I don't want you to deprive yourself. But often we confuse the the instruments of creativity with creativity itself. Ooh, you could tweet that podcast, Sean. And, and the problem with that is you can have the most beautiful microphone. Like these aren't the nicest microphones in the world. They're nice. They're, they're, they're professional quality. They're the nicest microphones in this room. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Uh, okay, great. They're, they're, they're nice microphones, right? Mm. That, that, isn't gonna, that doesn't, doesn't mean it's going to be a great podcast. You want microphones that are good enough that people don't notice you have good microphones. Right. Like that's the whole point. Right. And you want it to sound good, but you don't want people to notice the sound. That's why you want it to sound good. If it sounds mm-hmm. bad, that's when people really start noticing. Yeah. It, that's when you get the one-star review, right? Mm-hmm. And and so you want it to sound good enough that people don't recognize how it sounds. And and I think that is true with everything else. The You, you can have the fanciest feather quill. Mm-hmm. It's not going to produce the better writing. Yeah. No or, one, no one cares what what pen Stephen King is using or David Foster Wallace used. Yeah, I think about music. Yeah, and it's like you could own all the instruments, 
but if you don't know how to play all the instruments or worse you know how to play every instrument just a little bit mm. uh you're not going to create something as meaningful as if you just you know picked up a guitar and like really learned that one in- instrument really really well yeah i totally yeah agree the uh limitations breed creativity i had a gentleman that's, that's why i thought about music he came up to me he's like man you're a mentor man let me ask you what would you do in my situation he's like i can play you know 10 different instruments and i, I really uh want to be creative you know i want to create some awesome music but i play so many instruments i get overwhelmed i don't know what instrument to play i'm like dude just start with your voice Mm. like just and he was like oh yeah yeah and i was like and then when you are listening to your voice think about like okay what instrument can i bring in that's really gonna help uh you know enhance or augment my voice Instead of, you know, trying to incorporate everything at once. Um, and that really spurs creativity, Ryan. Absolutely. I, I love that advice because what you're doing there is you're saying, strip everything away for now. You can bring these things back in if you want. And I think that's true if you're podcasting. Get down to the bare bones. What is essential for me to record a relatively high quality podcast? And you could even go beyond that. You can record a decent podcast with your iPhone it's not, not going to be the highest quality, but maybe getting down to that absolute bare bones mm-hmm. makes you realize like, okay, no, I do need to bring in one or two other things, but it also makes you get extra creative because if you have unlimited resources, it's a thing that I think about. Actually, David Foster Wallace wrote an um, essay about uh, Terminator 1 versus Terminator 2. Mm. So you've seen both Terminator 1 yeah. and 2, right? Yeah. I haven't seen 3 through 9. but um, <laughs> Are there really nine of them? I think there are nine. Oh, my God. Uh, Jordan could probably tell us. He's yeah. seen all of them twice. There's five of them. I yeah. think there's nine of them. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> and and so the 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 thing that, that, well, James Cameron did really well with that first one is he had a just a shoestring budget. I think it was... Yeah, something like I don't know, six million bucks or something to produce a major, but no, for a major major motion picture, right? And uh, so, and he didn't have all the effects and stuff they needed. So what he did is he made sure he just he manipulated lighting. He said, "I don't have money, so in order to make this seem sort of." post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. i'm going to do that through a lot of the lighting right which is going to cost me very little to do right and then for the next film because the first one did so well he was given a functionally unlimited budget right and while it looks good relative to its time it lacked the the life that the first one had mm. it didn't have the same characteristics or quality or virtue even uh it didn't have the same creativity because he had unlimited resources yeah and so sometimes maybe the opposite of that is unlimited resources kill creativity yeah absolutely Sherilyn wants to know how do you deal with slumps and that little voice in your head that says i'm not good enough to do this man if i listen to that voice all the time i wouldn't do anything <laughs> it's funny like we filmed our documentary just a couple days ago we did uh like the main the main filming for it, and afterwards the owners of um, Electric Pony Studios, they're like, "So how how did you do? How was it?" I'm like, "Well, my producer and director said they got what they needed, but in my head I'm like, you didn't do good enough. You didn't you didn't give them you know it wasn't perfect. It's and I think when I have that voice, I have to kind of well, hey, I have to trust myself a little bit. Mm. I got I kind of have to get out of my own way, and then I also have to trust the people around me." Because it's really the people around me who, those are the, the ones I trust. So you and Matt and Jacob, those are the ones I trust to actually give me feedback. Because mm-hmm. I know you guys aren't going to like just give me criticism for the sake of criticism. You guys will actually help help me become a better version of, you know, whatever it is that I'm trying to be. But right. but I cannot listen to that, my own inner voice, because if I did that, then I wouldn't I wouldn't re- be recording this podcast right now. Well, yeah. And so, so maybe, maybe the answer there is search for another voice or yeah maybe search for other voices so here's the thing i get that same voice too that says i'm not good enough to do this Mm -hmm. except that voice now is more like what i did isn't good enough and sometimes that's actually a helpful voice Mm -hmm. if we record a podcast and i don't feel good about it then maybe we shouldn't publish it yeah And, and so i'm gonna seek out that voice in my head because that voice is saying, hey, you have higher standards than this. Right. 
you're and so you're not living up to those standards but i'm also going to look for other voices that say hey maybe you're being a perfectionist here and you need to tone it down a notch yeah so there are other voices in my head that say hey you did the best you could do given the resources you have and if i have hear that voice Mm -hmm. then great I'm going to feel good about it. So search for other voices. And then, as you said, Ryan, search for outside counsel, people you trust who are willing to not give you criticism, but feedback. Criticism tells you what the problem is. Feedback tells you what the problem and the solution are. Yeah. Connor writes in, what's the ideal creative environment to keep you focused while creating oh this can be a dangerous one it can be so here's here's what i'll say it's a mine is aggressively stripped down yeah and what i mean by that so i'm thinking of i'm thinking of a few things like when uh i was writing working on drafts of these three books back in dayton ohio um well actually everything that remains was in montana Mm -hmm. i had a remember the three dollar desk that we bought yeah and you I had, had to like t- bolt it together. Yeah, I had to like buy brackets to strengthen it. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, little so brackets. Yeah. I had a three dollar desk. It was tiny, and it was just pressed up against a wall. I had a cheap little uh, IKEA chair, mm-hmm. and wrote this book staring at a wall. Basically, these books, um, well, minimalism in particular, uh, minimalism of a meaningful life. I had another small desk that was about that size. Actually, it was from Ikea. And I was pushed up against a brick wall. Mm -hmm. And I like not always having a window to work in front of that can be the brick walls. Like, there's no distraction there. And even then, like, right now, we're renting a room at WeWork to write Love People Use Things. And it's just a quiet space with a door that locks. But there is a window there. But even then, there's nothing in that room. There is a a desk, a standing desk that goes mm-hmm. up and down, a chair, yeah, a computer, mm-hmm. and a pair of noise-canceling headphones. <laughs> and that's literally it. That yeah. I don't want anything else in the space because I don't want to be distracted by anything. So what is the ideal creative environment? For me, it may not be right for you. For me, it's f- distraction-free mm-hmm. because I want, I want what's in my head to be unencumbered by what's going on in the physical space around me. And then you've got like outliers like Colin Wright who can write a novel in the back of our tour bus slash 2004 Toyota Corolla Indeed. while we're on the road driving on the highway. And But you know what? Ideally, if you can get to that point where you can create anywhere, like that's ideal. But mm-hmm. sometimes that's, you know, that's not ideal for you. Right. Yeah. And, and so for me, even like we're in the studio right right now, it is, it's stripped down. It is the essentials, right? We have this overhead light here, which you can't see on camera, but it's an overhead light that instantly makes people 37% more handsome. We have sound <laughs> we <did> panels. <laughs> <laughs> we have sound panels around the room and on the ceiling, right? And those are, uh, the, they are both, it's form follows function. They're beautiful, yeah. mm-hmm. but they, they serve a, a function. They make the room. When we first got in here, it's a small room, mm-hmm. but it sounded like an echo hall. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable, echoey. right? Yeah. We have some chairs. We have a table. Sean has a small producer's table. We have a couple file cabinets over here where we store some equipment, and we have some cameras in the room. All of these things have a function, but then they also add some beauty to the space as well. And so you can have both. That's the nice thing about minimalism. The the bones are the beauty. When you strip something down to the essence, it can still be beautiful. Yeah. Melky writes, as a photographer, but this may be a sentiment experienced by other entrepreneurs, how can I create engaging Instagram and Facebook posts? How can I create engaging Instagram and Facebook posts? I appear to be like a ghost and only post a few times because I don't feel like I have anything meaningful to say and it's almost my least favorite part of my side hustle. Melky, how much money does Instagram pay you to post on their platform? How much money does Facebook pay you to post on their platform? Now, let's flip that around. How much are you paying them? Because one of two, you're paying them in at least two ways. 
Number one is, well, in order to communicate with the audience that follows you, you actually have to pay. We have hundreds of thousands of people on Facebook who follow us. It's, mm -hmm. I know it's over half a million people, mm -hmm. right? And if I wanted to reach all of them, just those people, yeah. not, not people outside of them, but the people who have elected to follow us, I'd have to pay hundreds or if not thousands of dollars to communicate with them. Yeah, And that's their right, their Facebook, it's their platform. Also, and more important, they're charging you your time and attention, your mm -hmm. two most precious resources. And you're putting a lot of attention here, Melky, on how do I, how do I create engaging, engaging things photos, yeah. that I hate doing? But yeah, and yeah, that's it's what an yeah, what a paradox. Mm -hmm. Because a, you're forcing yourself to do something you don't like, and if you do that, you're just going to resent it even more. Yeah. How many and Instagram photo posts have 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 changed your life? Right. The other thing too is like if you're doing it just for the fame, because that's really what it comes down to, mm -hmm. more engaging, more engagements, which, you know, the more famous you can be, the more engagement you'll have. I mean, that's also the wrong reason to be doing something. Like, I, th so I'm the same way. I don't post a lot on Instagram every once in a blue moon, maybe once a month, mm -hmm. once every two months. Mm -hmm. um, I have people all the time, they'll send me private messages like, dude, I love your Instagram. Like your Instagram is beautiful. You have the awesome pictures and I don't go out of my way to get that type of engagement, it happens naturally because I have high standards mm -hmm. and like the things that I post, I want, I want the, like those pictures myself. And that's, you know, usually when I post something, it's like, uh, there is a moment that I'm like, Oh, I would like to share this moment right now. Like this isn't, this is something that I think I want to put out in the world. Um, but I don't post it thinking like, Oh, how many likes is this going to get? Mm. How, you know, how many people are going to comment on this? Mm -hmm. I just, I have high standards myself. Um, and then I keep low expectations of, you know, the engagement that I get, but by default, by doing it intentionally, by having high standards, people, I totally get compliments on the Instagram. That's great. Um, if I started doing it just for the engagement though, I would probably be where Melky is. Like I would, I'd probably, yeah, I would be hating it. <laughs> Melky, I think you're using, I think you don't know why you're using social media right now. Mm. And you need to ask yourself that. Why am I using social media? I can answer the question. If you ask me that, I can answer it for you. I, I use social media as a platform to try to add value to other people's lives. I use it to augment the creations that we have, whether that is a film, a podcast, a blog post, a book. We use it to share those with other people, but also our words, we hope that they add value. And also, we use it to help people ask better questions about their, about their life. And now, Ryan and I, everything that you see on our social media are our words, but we have someone, Jessica, who manages the social media so that we don't have to get bogged down in the... I, I want to say day-to-day -day operations of it, but really with social media, it's the hour-to-hour. -hour. It's so ephemeral, sure. right? Yeah. And so we have someone who does it. It's still our creations, and that's important. Otherwise, it just feels like uh, Wendy's cheeseburgers or you know all of mm. these <laughs> all of these brand. I, it feels like a brand. Yeah. And I, I don't want it to be that. I, it's our words. It's our sentiment. And then we have someone who's really good at curating that. And so ask yourself why. And if you understand why you're doing it, you might find one of two things. One, you might find you don't need to use social media at all. Mm -hmm. Or two, you might find a better way to use it to accomplish what you're yeah. trying to accomplish. Yeah, Melky, if you want to put your creations out there and you want people to like have a place to go to to see your works... Yeah, okay, Instagram's fine, Facebook is fine, you can point them in that direction, but I mean if it's for that purpose of displaying your work, I would I'd create a beautiful website yeah. and direct people towards that. Um yeah, I think that would be much more meaningful than than the ephemerality of of social media. Um let's see here. We got a question from Tom, is creativity learnable and improvable? If so, how? How do you make it natural instead of something forced? Of course, it has to be learnable, right? Because, yeah. because when you're born, I'm thinking of Ella when she was one year old. Like she wasn't very creative. I mean, yep. she created poop. 
That was about it though, yeah. right? And, and so, yeah, we of course we learn how to be creative. In fact, as kids, kids are most creative. Why? Because they're unfiltered. Mm. And so that's really the answer to Tom's question here. How do you make it natural? You remove those filters. What are the filters? Mm. Filters are, oh, someone's gonna judge me. Someone's gonna think poorly of this. Someone's not going to like this. These are the filters that we create. I. I don't want to embarrass myself. If you can remove those filters, that's where creati creativity comes from. Now, why are kids so creative? Because they're constantly asking questions. They have a willingness and ability to ask questions regardless of how mundane or silly or stupid they might seem. They don't care. They're gonna ask. The Ella's favorite word for many years was why, why, why? And now, of course, in the schooling system, we almost beat that out of them. Mm -hmm. and, and, and by the time we're 18 years old, we are afraid to ask why because it's so uncool. Well, get really uncool if you want to be creative, <laughs> right? And by the way, here's the paradox of that, Ryan. The people who are the real creators who are able to step past the, the uncool phase, they're the coolest people they are because they yeah. create something that is meaningful and there's nothing cooler than that. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'll add here, Tom, is uh, personally, I love to draw like little, um, and it's not all the time, but sometimes I get this wild hair. I get this like pattern in my head and they're always like really simple patterns. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what this would look like on paper. So I literally have like a, like a charcoal pencil mm -hmm. and a book that I will go to and I would never show anyone any of these drawings. Yeah. But it's just fun to like work out sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but as I, you know, do it, they get a little bit better and better. You know, it's not, again, nothing like I would ever plan on putting public this time. But yes, I mean, it is improvable. And the only way you improve on it is by doing it. So right. it doesn't happen via osmosis, right? right? Which is actually a really good. Um, lean in to well this next question here from jelena what are misconceptions about creativity you'd like to debunk well, yes it doesn't happen through osmosis <laughs> writer's block oh okay so here's the thing i had a nurse come up to me i was getting an iv drip mm -hmm. right and and uh some some uh vitamins and she is asking me about writing i guess she knew who i was and mm -hmm. and she was like so how do you how do you handle writer's block and i said how do you handle nurse's block mm. and she looked at me like what that's not a thing <laughs> i said exactly it's not a thing mm -hmm. you can you could make up something called nurse's block yeah you might have hard days where you're nursing and it's difficult right yeah and it, it's banal uh-huh and you got to like force yourself to do it right yeah and I've never heard of a, and they're like, well, it's different. Nurses aren't creative. Well, okay, I disagree with that. You have to get really creative, especially if you're like in an ICU or something. Mm. It requires way more creativity than a writer. Yep. Uh, but there are creative fields that are wildly cre creative and productive. Bricklayers don't get bricklayers blo block. Mm -hmm. Carpenters don't get carpenter block. And there are days that are more difficult than others. Mm -hmm. That's the drudgery that we talk about. Yeah. And so to me, that's the biggest misconception about creativity, that there's some sort of blockage and it's like the artist's burden. No, you don't always feel like creating, but that's the time you should be creating the most because you have to push through it. And by the way, you get the you get the other perspective. If everything was all f flow state and focus all the time, that would feel good, but it wouldn't put you in a state of drudgery, which you know, the pressure creates diamonds, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, sometimes you need that that pressure in order for you to produce something that you otherwise wouldn't produce in a happier flow state. Totally agree. The only other thing I would add, and we've already covered this, is it doesn't matter the equipment you have. For the most part, the equipment that you have to create is a very small piece of actually creating. So you don't need the perfect paintbrush, you don't need the perfect pen, you don't need the perfect microphone. Mm. Um, yeah, don't don't rely on the equipment, rely on your on your actions. Brian wants to know, how can I help others nurture their creativity? I'm an elementary school art teacher. Ask questions Amen. often. Yeah. That if you want to nurture creativity, ask questions often. Yeah. You can tweet that, Sean. Uh, yeah, I think that 
that that's the only thing that that you need to do right now is mm-hmm. if you want to get better answers, keep asking better questions. Mm-hmm. And as you ask these questions, what happens? The students, whether they're little kids or they're adults, mm-hmm. their brain starts to work in a different way. They yeah. start solving problems. Mm-hmm. And that's all creativity really is at the end of the day. You're not creating content, you are solving problems. You're creating value when you solve those problems. Yeah, maybe a step further is like teach people how to how to ask more questions absolutely it's like when we were babysitting ella and we had the little clay stuff that we were molding and we were like okay we're gonna i'm gonna mold something and you have to guess what it was it was kind of like pictionary with the clay yeah and like ella it was her turn to make something and she just for the life of her could not think of something to make Mm. and i'm like put yourself like in a zoo and start walking through and looking at the animals and she's like oh yeah okay hold on and then like she would you know try to make something but uh but yeah like teach teach children how to ask questions and mm-hmm. you could totally nurture their creativity. The other thing too is like, I, 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 I want to say is tell them what a good job they're doing, but doing it, do it in a genuine way. You don't want to, you don't want to just always be like, Oh, good job. Like, Oh my God, what is that? Right. But like find genuine ways to encourage the creativity. It's so much, it is so much better to praise the action than it is the person. Yeah. yeah. I, I avoid telling Ella, Oh, you're so smart. Mm-hmm. Like, or you're so beautiful or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I would rather tell her like, what you did there required a lot of effort and I'm really proud that you were willing to put that much effort into it. Yeah. And she actually feels better about that anyway. Yeah, for sure. All right, Josh, April's asking you, is it a realistic expectation to set your sights on a large creative endeavor like writing a book or should you always break down the steps into smaller goals like blog posts before attempting that? Yes and yes. I mean, here's the thing. I, I teach writing students and how to write better. I, I came up with this concept called narrative urgency. Mm-hmm. And so if you read something, the, well, I, here. Oh, I have a book right here in front of me. Yeah. Everything that remains. Mm-hmm. Here's narrative urgency. The Whether it's a blog post or a book, the first sentence has a specific job, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so... I'm going to read the first person or the first uh, paragraph or the first sentence of everything that remains. Our identities are shaped by the costumes we wear. Well, that sentence has one job, mm-hmm. and it's to make you want to read the second sentence. Yeah. What the hell is he talking about? Our identities are shaped by the costumes we wear. Well, you're about to find out. I am seated in a cramped conference room surrounded by ghosts in, sh- in shirt sleeves and pleated trousers. Ghosts? What does he mean by ghost? What's the job of the second sentence? It's different from the first sentence. The first sentence is meant to make you want to read the second sentence. The second sentence, however, is supposed to make you want to read the third sentence. (laughs) And if not, you have to let it go. A book is written one line at a time. Mm -hmm. And and that's really how, how it works out. And so the third sentence is there are 35, maybe 40 people here. Okay, now I'm starting to get a picture of the room. Well, what else is there? Middle managers, the lot of us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm starting to get this. Now, what did he mean by ghost? He said ghost. Mostly Caucasian, mostly male, all oozing apathy. The group's median complexion is that of an agoraphobe. <laughs> and, and so what, what I'm trying to communicate in a, a book like that is I want to pull you in with the first sentence so that you want to keep reading. Mm-hmm. And throughout the whatever it is, 230 pages of the book, I want each sentence to move you along to create narrative urgency. You can do that with a blog post. Now, here's the problem. Right now, we still think of things in an old media platform. Mm -hmm. Do I have to write a book? I don't know. Does the material that you want to communicate require a book? I'm holding up this blog post right here. It's called How to Start a Successful Podcast. Mm -hmm. This isn't a book. It is better as a blog post. Everything that remains is not a blog post. The medium that best works for it is a book. The episode we're working on right now, which is called Create Value, Not Content, is best served as a podcast, right? Yeah. And so what is the appropriate medium is the best question for you, April. Yep, totally agree. We got one more question here, Josh. 
from Lorenzo. I have two jobs and different activities, so I am always busy working or helping my family. But my dream to write is impossible right now. In my leisure time, I just want to stay at home doing nothing or just watch Netflix. How can I find time for creative writing? Man, you have to get rid of uh, everything that's a distraction. So we talked about imaginary values a moment ago or, or toward the beginning of this this maximal episode. Get that values worksheet, theminimalists.com slash V. You can mm-hmm. read about the values there. It's called How to Understand uh, Your Values. And man, here's the, here's what I did. I removed all the the obstacles. Yeah. Netflix is an obstacle for you. Get rid of it. Throw your TV out the damn window. Mm-hmm. You don't need the TV if it's getting in the way. You're saying it's impossible. What's the Henry Ford quote, Ryan? Yeah, whether you think you can or can't, you're right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why it's impossible right now because you said it's impossible. Now, what if you were to change the sentence, Ryan? But my dream to write is possible right now. Yeah. Well, how is it possible? Get rid of the TV. You're going to have to you know, get rid of all of these distractions. What mm-hmm. else is distracting you? Make a list of your distractions. You can do that on the values worksheet. There's a whole section there. You just fill in all of your obstacles, right? We call them imaginary values. Yeah. You can call them distractions. They are getting in the way of a more creative and more meaningful life. Yes, your dream to write is possible right now, but only if you get rid of those distractions. Yeah, get rid of distractions. Lorenzo, you could also set it up. Uh, this works for some people. Some people doesn't. But don't don't give yourself permission to veg out until you've done 10 minutes of writing. I mean, it doesn't have to be a thousand words, but set something incremental. Oh, I'm going to spend 10 minutes on this paragraph or 10 minutes on this one sentence. Uh, and then, yeah, maybe watch some Netflix or something. I mean, that's just one idea. There's actually a book. I get that from uh, James Clear. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits, and it is a whole book on how to create uh, meaningful habits in your life. And uh, that's just like one of the many things that he talks about that kind of work. And the important thing, Lorenzo, is you got to find the recipe that works for you. So, um, yeah, check out that book. That'll help you create some good habits. But, Lorenzo, you got to commit and stop looking for time and make time. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe in time, Ryan. I believe in timing. <laughs> Time's just a flat circle, <laughs> man. I got a couple more New Yorker cartoons I want to go over with you. We've got a couple more minutes here. Okay. Um, I just like these, and it's a new year. What happens at the beginning of a year, Ryan? People start questioning their stuff. Spring cleanings right around yeah, the corner. Yeah, resolutions, all that stuff. Yeah. Remember you did your packing party. People can can read about that on the website, theminimalists.com slash packing. Uh, and one thing that this New Yorker cartoon perfectly in one line, in one drawing, captured exactly what a packing party or what decluttering or spring cleaning does. <laughs> now, the pa- idea of the packing party is you're pretending like you're moving. Why? Because... <laughs> You're forced to confront your stuff when you move. Yeah. It's the one time where you're like, I hate all this stupid stuff I own. I have to move it from here to here. I'm not even going to unpack it. Oh, my God. There are seven boxes in the attic that were packed from last time. I still haven't unpacked. And you start asking these questions, right? Mm -hmm. So check this out, Ryan. This is a New Yorker cartoon. All right. So it's a man standing in a room. They obviously just cleared it out. And uh, his wife's standing in the doorway with a lamp. He's got a box in his hand. And the caption says, why didn't we ever move out? Why didn't we ever move out while we lived here? <laughs> <laughs> He's That's talking good. about the... Pa- I swear to yeah. you. You know what Beck That's said good, to me man. the other day? Yeah. She said, I think the people from the New Yorker listen to your podcast. Oh, wow. Because we often reference their cartoons. And then they, ever since we started referencing our, their, their cartoons, I've seen a whole lot more minimalism. That's things. awesome, dude. Why, dude. why didn't we ever move out while we lived here? Now, you did that. You right. actually pretended you were moving while you lived there because you were forced to confront all of these things you weren't using anymore here you go jordan i'll put that in the video we don't have a picture of this but one of my favorite new yorker cartoons i've ever seen when it comes to like simplicity it's these two robbers and they're like carrying out this like last piece of furniture they've taken everything and they've got the homeowner tied up gagged in a chair and what and as they're walking out one robber robber is looking over his shoulder and he's like this is your chance to start over. Don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, this came out around Halloween, so it's out of season now. But I thought it was good because, uh, well, you can take a look at it. Okay. So you got two witches. One's holding a, a skull. You know, it's a little witch's laboratory here. Uh, one witch is saying to the other one. <laughs> if it doesn't make me scream, I get rid of it. <laughs> 
It's like the Marie Kondo for witches. Yeah. The Marie exactly. Kondo method for witches. That's great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if it doesn't serve a purpose or, or bring you joy. Or then, make me scream. Or make you scream, then <laughs> get rid of get it. Get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing we, we talk about in this new film we're working on. It's called Less Is Now. It'll be out on Netflix later this year. And, and the thing that we talk about is, like, each of my belongings, my car, my clothes, my kitchenware, my furniture has a function. As a minimalist, every possession serves a purpose or it brings me joy. And everything else is out of the way. And that's highly individual. I wish I could give you a rule book and say, here are the hundred items you should own. Mm -hmm. But those hundred items that have a function in my life may simply be clutter in your life and vice versa. We're mm -hmm. all different. But by the way, that's what makes life interesting and passionate and is the fact that we are different. Ryan and I are like exact opposites with a lot of stuff. We just have similar values, especially when it comes to our our foundational values, yeah. right? And the other values, the surface values, we have different surface values. And that's what makes our lives interesting and unique and enjoyable. Because if everyone in the world was like me, it would be a really boring world. Yeah. The communism would work perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not even a communist, but if everyone was like me, it would work out. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and, and vice versa, right? Um, if everyone was like you or if everyone was like someone who's listening to this. No, if everyone was like me, it would never work. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely wouldn't believe in time. <laughs> all right, Joe, that's all we got for today. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter. Yes. We're really grateful. Happy New Year to you all. We will see you next week. Love people. Use things. The Minimalists. <laughs>